Hey, what's happening, everybody? This is the Postdoc PT Experience, episode 44. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Gula, and our guest this week is the one and only Dr. Matt Pomeroy. Matt is a current physical therapist at Children's Hospital Colorado in Denver, Colorado, where he also serves as a teaching assistant at the University of Colorado's physical therapy program. Matt did his orthopedic residency at The Ohio State University, but his story is a little bit different. He waited two years before pursuing his residency. So hear his perspective and our conversation on the benefits of doing residency either right after PT school or waiting a little bit and explore some of our thoughts on the mentoring process as well as teaching because those are two of our big passions in life. So we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. And without further ado, I give you the postdoc PT experience. Matt, what's up? I'm so glad we're finally doing this. Hey, Nick, thanks for having me. Of course, man. I, it's been a, it's been a long time coming. I know I, we've known each other for how long now? Probably like somewhere between the the neighborhood of like six months to a year. Yeah, no, I'd say you're probably first time I met you was about a year, year and a half ago, maybe. Right, and that was only like a like a one time quick thing because you live in Colorado and I'm in Columbus, obviously. So. Yeah, I got to meet you as the uh, the up and coming ortho resident. Oh about. man, time flies, man. Time flies. Uh, I know we got some coffee beforehand. I I know you're a big coffee guy. Yeah, a little bit. How uh, how do you make your coffee at home? Uh, you know what? I just make it by the pot. Um, so nothing nothing terribly fancy. Maxwell House. <laughs> no, I generally try to mix up the uh, the beans a little bit. Try, still trying to find the some uh, something that you know, pulls you in. But are you, are you one of those guys that goes to the, the local coffee shops and like smells all the, uh, the gr different grinds and it's like trying to figure out that perfect blend? Honestly, no, I've got a total appreciation for those guys, but, uh, the fact that I'm drinking just by the, uh, the pot full is probably keeping me from going for the super nice stuff. Fair enough. Hey, I know you have a, we won't call it an addiction, right? It's just a healthy, uh, habit. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I've uh, I've just started on my addiction from from that standpoint. I use have you ever heard of this the AeroPress? Oh, no. Is this something no. I should have heard of? I mean maybe. I'm I'm super lazy. I like to be just like super quick with everything. So all you got to do with this thing is like a it basically looks like like a colander type thing where it's a mix between a French press and something else. And I literally it's the cylinder that sits on top of my coffee cup. Pour the grinds in. There's a, uh, a filter underneath of it, obviously. Pour the, the hot water in whatever temperature you like. Mix it for 10 seconds, and then there's a plunger that goes on top, and you just press straight down. All right. The coffee in 15 seconds. That's, uh, that's good coffee. That's good it's, not, coffee. it's not bad. It, it helps in the morning. So yeah. I haven't pushed past the, uh, that yet. I haven't, I've never made coffee in a coffee pot. You're missing out just from a quantity standpoint. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to to not get to your level quite yet. <laughs> Talk to me in a year. Yeah, honestly, you probably won't need to. It's uh, it's, at some point, it kind of feels like a waste of water, but it's good. You got to drink anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, let let's get into it. Uh, this I'm, I've been looking forward to this because you have, in in my opinion, something 
guest wise that I haven't really had on the show yet, or at least not had in a, a, a fair quantity is uh, having a residency experience, but having some time treating beforehand. Yeah, I, that I guess doesn't surprise me a lot, just given how many people are going into residency straight after PT school, but um, <laughs> glad to offer a different perspective. Yeah, I'm excited. But uh, but you're in you're in Colorado right now in Denver, right? Yep. Talk talk to me and, and the listeners about where you're at right now. Uh, so after leaving Columbus, came back to Denver, which has always been home for me, and okay. got hired on at Children's Hospital Colorado with their adolescent athletes, so in sports medicine or sports PT program, and it's been pretty great. the uh, The PTs that I work with are a bunch of like smart and professional and like energized physical therapist so it's been a lot of fun and being back in denver has also given me an opportunity to help out at the university of colorado's pt program every once in a while i mean that's that's one of the great things about ohio state's ortho residency and, and their sports residency is that they offer a lot of the teaching stuff and i'm sure that that gave you a really good window and just a door to step through for uh for that teaching yeah, I don't know about you, but teaching for me was something that I wanted to be integral into the residency experience and, mm-hmm. you know, got the feet wet at Ohio State and it kind of sparked an interest and a passion. And so being able to be in the classroom has continued to be kind of like a something that gives me energy instead of takes away from from the energy. I, I totally agree. I'm the same way. And I think it's just it depends on what residency you seek out, right? Like you probably looked at other residencies and they didn't really have a teaching component to it. And that was actually one of my criteria for applying to those programs is it had to have a teaching component. Um, just, you know, it was something different from the treatment side of things that I was really interested in pursuing. Right. Well, it's, it's so hard. I would assume to, to get into the teaching realm. And if you don't have experience, I would, I would find it maybe even a little bit more difficult to, uh, to step over that threshold and into the classroom. Yeah. It seems like you need, you know, a little bit of the experience goes a long way and then just a lot of luck. Uh, so being in the right place at the right time has definitely been helpful. Yeah. I was going to say, how did you, uh, how did you go about getting that, that job back at CU? It's a good question. I think for the most part, it probably came from a continued expression of interest. Uh, mm-hmm. and then ultimately I was sitting down with, uh, one of my old faculty members for a coffee and we were just, chatting it up a little bit and she said that she was going to need somebody with a little bit of an ortho background in one of her classes and that kind of snowballed into other classes and then COVID hit and again people that had been on campus or could be on campus had to be the people that were currently on campus uh, so kind of again right place right time that's awesome yeah I, it it I hope that happens for me um uh, knock on wood we're, we're trying to to get to that point but I sense it will, and you kind of put yourself in the in good spots all the time. I don't know if that's lucky or good. Uh, I'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> all right, nice. right. Well, that's cool. So, like the the combination of having that ortho background and the teaching experience, and the relationship, like going back to where you had some of your roots, probably the combination of those three really paid off. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about you, but the PT school and then also uh, my first job and then Ohio State and now my current job. There have all been people there that like, I really admire just as professionals and as human beings. Mm-hmm. And stay, staying in contact with those people has been kind of a really 
rewarding part of being in PT. Well, that's the, uh, that's the thing though, right? It's at, at least some of the, some of the advice that I got going into residency and like about like, how do you pick the right residency is the a big thing is making connections and, and utilizing those connections. And if you're, you're in a program and, and you make those connections in one location and then you go back or go away from that area, it's probably harder to utilize. As far as just like keeping in contact with people or using the connection from Ohio State at a different location? Yeah, so, so the latter of the two. So the advice that I got was know where you really want to practice in the area because the best thing would be to stay in the same spot that you do your, your residency and or fellowship because you already have some like bona fide experience and the connections from that. Yeah. I mean, no doubt at Ohio state, that is a large system, right? So when you start spending time there, you're going to be making connections and those connections will eventually span the entire Columbus area. Uh, And then you got people coming up from Cincinnati. So all of a sudden you're connected there. Uh, So that makes a lot of sense, but PT is a small world. and you bring up a good point though. It's like, you didn't do that, but you still utilize the connections that you did have. And I think that's probably the, the broader point is, is have connections where you're going to work and going back home did a lot for you there. I would assume if you just like went to Florida, it probably would have been a little bit harder not knowing too many people. Like, Yeah. I, I'm thinking you're absolutely right there. Uh, that said, I think always having that interest and for me anyways, seeking out mentorship has been a big part of it each step of my professional career. And I'm guessing it has for you too. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's, that's the one thing I don't like about the podcast right now is everybody that I bring on just like confirms all of my biases. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit dangerous, but hopefully that means that they're appropriate and helpful biases. I'd like to think so from that standpoint. I like, I, I like the way you're thinking. Positive attitude on a, on a Sunday morning right now. I like it. Absolutely. So, we're all just bred to think the same thing. Probably, yeah. We're, we're all indoctrinated. Yeah. Come join us. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, the, the big picture item there, I think, is and, and, I, and I, I've come back to this in multiple different podcasts and iterations is like, what's the value of this? Like, that's why I'm doing the podcast. And that's why I'm doing some of the research that I'm doing is I, I want to show the, uh, the value of postdoc training, right? And on the surface, the value, I don't know, is, is fair. It's, it's modest from the sense of, okay, you have to take a pay cut. That sucks, right? You, uh, you don't make a lot of money in that. And that is a big barrier for a lot of people on the first just topic of conversation. But like, if you can get past that, then it's like, okay, yeah, you're gaining clinical knowledge, but you could do that on your own. You could take the OCS on your own, like, uh, like our friend, Dr. Smith and, and do that and pass and, and have a great career from that standpoint. So it's like, why would I spend all of this extra time and effort and make less money to, to just get some knowledge that I could theoretically gain on my own. And I, th- I think part of that is that inherent underlying 
connections that you make, the the mentorship, and then the potential future possibilities that stem from that. Yeah. Well, and actually, you bring up a really good point. I'd love to pick your brain about this since this is kind of something that you're looking into. But is there anything from a, a mentor standpoint, any personality traits that you look for or seek out or find in your good mentors is consistent? Yes, 100%. 100%. The uh, the mentors that make a personal connection with the mentee, in in my opinion, in my N of one, yeah. are really not my N of one because I, ha- I have had conversations with a lot of different people who, uh, who have been in that mentor-mentee relationship on both sides. And if you can make that personal connection, and, and what I mean by that is n- not only like okay, like we joke, we laugh in clinic, like whatever, like, oh, how was your weekend? What'd you do this weekend? But I'm talking a little bit more than that. Like go out for a drink or go out and get a cup of coffee after work or on the Saturday morning or, or something on that lines, like really like understand where the person's coming from. Because in my opinion, that's, that's where number one, you break down the inherent barriers that are just there on the professional relationship side. You get to know the person, what makes them tick. And then because of that, you can really meet the person where they're at in their stepwise process through mentoring. And then you're going to be able to just really affect that relationship that much better. And I, I love that. And that I think is a tremendous part of the mentoring experience. It's like you got somebody on your side that is invested in your success or growth. Um, and I don't don't know about you, but something that I've found is helpful in the mentoring relationship is like having a mentor that's willing to learn. Right. The, uh, the mentor that, that doesn't come at you, like they know everything, but you, they almost meet you on the, uh, on that peer to peer relationship side of things. And okay, maybe I have a little bit more experience and things to offer you, but I know I'm going to learn from you as well. And like just putting that on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the kind of what grabbing a beer, you know, diving into stuff outside of work facilitates is that kind of connection. Right. And like, not that here's the hard part. Like we, we talk about, like investing this extra time into the relationship. And like, let's be frank, that's hard to do if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have certain commitments from that standpoint, if you have other job responsibilities on top of that, because like if we're, we're thinking about who are our mentors, there are these people that have been in practice five to 15 plus years. They've gone through their life. They're, they're most likely they're married with kids or they're also like in administration and they have a lot of other responsibilities from that side. So it's, it's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you're, you have any thoughts on whether like the mentee has a role in, you know, assisting the mentors growth or development, because hopefully that relationship is, you know, one where both professionals or both people get to grow a little bit obviously the mentee is usually taking up more of the space or at least i I feel that was my role in residency Mm -hmm. um yeah so like you you saying like is the the mentee responsible for pushing the mentor and and like 
basically outlining their their duties and responsibilities or like maybe but is there something that the mentee can provide like from a learning standpoint or how how is it that the mentee can show up for the mentor to make sure that that's not just a one-way relationship where the mentee is the only person growing i think you have to have that hard conversation right off the bat yeah and if if your mentor is is not in the space to to provide that avenue you have to broach that so like Matt, you're, you're my mentor right now. I'm, I'm the mentee in like, we're, we've gone through our first month and a half, two months of the relationship. We've set ground rules and like, no, this is how we're going to do our mentoring. We're going to use a form or we're not going to use a form. We're going to talk about it afterwards, or I'm going to have you do research articles like before and after. And, and we'll talk about that. Like, sure you have that, but if you don't have that, like Hey, I, I want you to challenge me on this, this, and this. Like, I'm I'm looking for this kind of relationship. If you don't have that, like, you gotta you gotta force that. I think on on the mentee side, which is a hard thing to do, especially if you're looking at somebody who who is your knowledge superior. At least you look at that as there's a there's a big gap between there, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, so it's having those hard conversations. That's cool, man. That that sounds like it involves a lot of kind of self awareness for the mentee well I would, yeah it's the like if you're if you're going through the process whether it's anywhere along the track of postdoc whether it's a resident or a phd and you're going along that i would i would assume that they're close to the same from the standpoint of you don't know what to expect when you're going in there that's kind of the reason why i'm doing this podcast guys um you don't know what to expect there's a lot of different responsibilities thrown at you like it's hard to be in the moment right like you were there yeah is it hard for you to be in the moment a lot of times because it was hard for me uh yeah definitely i think um and going back to like the difference in experience i, I think that's where having a couple of years at being out and treating was helpful for me um was it kind of helped me to shape and be a little bit more confident in what i was looking for and Damn. what i could what I can provide. You said the C word. Confident. Yeah. Oh. No, it's a it's a good thing. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around with you. Oh. I I literally say this every time I have a new guest on because inherently every time, guess what word they bring up? Confidence. Confidence. <laughs> In to me, that's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing when I hear that. It's it has a good connotation because like great, like that's that's what it's meant for. It's meant for you to to gain more experience and to to have a, a better grasp of all of the information that's out there in, in terms of whether it's orthopedics or or neuro or oncology or whatever, right? Like you need that understanding and that that firm base to have that confidence but at the same time like i've also looked at it from the sense of like everybody's not going to be confident going into a new position everybody's going to go through that just what do they call it um it's escaping me uh imposter syndrome yeah yeah uh so i guess with regards to the confidence or that word confidence um where you sit your confidence i think is important and 
even if that's just self-awareness of your own goals, that, that you can have confidence in where you stand with that versus your ability to effectively treat every single patient that comes into your clinic or uh, your ability to communicate perfectly with every single clinician and uh, you know, colleague that you'll ever meet. Uh, so I think for me, the, the confidence was that, that first one where I was confident in what I wanted to get out of it. Um, which right. It's, it sounds like you might've understood yourself and like where you were at on the, uh, just the, you as a PT and like where you were like practice style wise and what you may or may not need to work on a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I think anybody is going to have that imposter syndrome when you come into a new scenario because it's inherently new. There are going to be things that are nuanced about that role or that job or that company that you've right. not experienced. And, and I think you you ultimately go through that kind of phase of questioning everything that you thought you knew. Mm -hmm. uh, and residency facilitates that because you've got a supportive network around you where like that is the norm. That's and the that's point. Yeah. Which I, is what I loved about it. <laughs> Well, okay. So you're, you're, you're changing my mind a little bit now. You're, you're pushing me more towards liking that C word. If you look at it towards like pushing your abilities and, and breaking down your confidence to then build it back up in, in the right fashion. Yeah. And you might have, I'm just, I'm just going to start laying on the C word now. You might have confidence in like your past experience and ability to thrive or succeed in PT school or your ability to develop relationships that are lasting and meaningful or your ability to challenge the status quo. Like, but that confidence allows you to kind of pursue and, and engage with people in a way that hopefully starts to work on that imposter syndrome and make you feel like you've contributed. Right. Right. And, it, and it's a process and I don't know, like you have to take your lumps, right? Oh yeah. Nothing good ever is easy. Hopefully not. Oh, it, yeah, probably not. <laughs> at least most, at least most of the time. Let's not make generalizations, but you know, like from that standpoint, talk to me though. Talk to me about your experience a little bit more because I, I like that you you brought up that point now about you. How many years did you treat before you went into residency? First of all, it was almost two, and it was probably about the. Two was about the most time that I was willing to spend away before going into residency. I think if I had stayed any longer working, I'm not sure if I would have pursued residency, which I think would have been a mistake. Hmm. Oh, it's a hard thing to do, right? It's like you yeah. get comfortable. Change is inherently hard for everybody. Like <laughs> I can respect that. So two years, right? You, you were able to build and you build your, your confidence in what realm? You said you were more, you, you understood yourself a little bit more on the, like how you treated and, and what you needed to gain from a residency. Is that? Yeah, I think, uh, it, my first two years were a humbling experience. I was surrounded by a lot of, uh, really smart clinicians and accomplished clinicians. And I was on a team where I was really the lowest contributing member as far as like each day in those clinical conversations. I was not the person I was bringing up good points. I was the person I was learning and that was consistent for two years, uh, which was great. So it was, it was, it was humbling, uh, which was necessary. And I think really helpful ultimately in 
and being in residency and like just realizing how much there is to know mm -hmm. and how early on that path I was. So, so take me through then how it changed the residency. Like, did you have any ups and downs with your confidence? Like once you started residency, did, did your previous experience like shift at all? And these your feelings different? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I think there, I had a base of confidence with the population that I was intimately familiar with. Um, yeah. So I had seen loads of post-ops, like almost nothing but post-ops. So that really early phase or really early stages of post-op, I, I felt pretty good about that. And that is something that, you know, we spend time on in clinic and in mm -hmm. residency and whatnot. And I felt good about that. And then everything else, those waves of patients that come in and you don't feel like you're getting anybody better. And then the next week you feel like you're crushing it. Like, I think that's, a consistent experience of every new clinician until you start to kind of realize like, Oh, okay. Like I'm in that lull right now. <laughs> right. Which it happens. Right. Yeah. And ultimately like, what we want to do is shorten that. That's the idea, right. Is to, to not let it just slump. Right. You don't want a, a batting average slump or a PT treatment plan of care slump. Right. You want to, you want to be able to recognize and pivot uh, faster and, and more effectively. Okay. So th those are pretty cool, pretty cool things from that standpoint. So you understood that you had a lot of like a solid base from, from that side of things. Um, you're able to, to pinpoint just the shifting of, of that confidence and really deal with the ups and downs that is PT treatment. And you're not ever going to escape that. Right. What did you, where did you, where did you finish up with? Like as far as after residency, what yeah, was after, my... res after residency and, and even up to now, like how, how is that, that molded and blended through your practice? Yeah. I think there's, uh, there's comfort in knowing where I'm, where I'm at as a learner and a lot of discomfort knowing how much there is that I still have to learn or how much it is that I've forgotten. Uh, for instance, I've been in working with adolescents for the past two years. Mm -hmm. And if I stepped into a clinic that's primarily seeing the older adult athlete, I'm not going to be as effective now as I was at the end of residency, but I feel com comfortable in my ability to relearn. Um, and just because you've got the foundation of the thought process of like, okay, need to go back and relearn physiology or, or remind myself about the physiology of healing and what loads this person's going to be experiencing on a day-to-day -day life. And like, how can I best adapt their rehabilitation program to those loads? So, yeah, I think I'm still humbled by seeing new diagnoses that I haven't heard of, haven't worked with and going into the adolescent population after residency, that was, uh, that was a definite shift because, uh, I think it's probably similar now for you all as it was for us, but like the adolescent or pediatric uh, rehab was not a big emphasis because it's not a big portion of your population. Right. It's a, it's a whole separate, essentially uh, subspecialty, right? It seems like Ar it's arguable, arguably if we, we silo out, right? Yeah. Well, I think that that's a really an interesting thing. And I, I do want to come back to talking about, the uh, the pediatric 
side of things and how you, you shifted from the ortho to, to then the peds. Like, let's talk about that for sure. But the first thing that I want to point out and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but listening to everything that you were saying there about like, okay, where you were at confidence wise before residency, during, and now it's sounding like your confidence level really hasn't changed too much. It just maybe fluctuated on where it's at on the scale and like where, where your, your knowledge base and, and where everything is just mainly focused on. Hey, you know, I haven't, haven't thought about it like that, but the, uh, I guess what I am, where my confidence lies is not necessarily in knowing everything because that would not be a good place to, to lay your confidence. Views. No, 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 no. Uh, tripped up every time you come up to something that you're not familiar with. I think the the confidence becomes or confidence came from the ability to learn and to adapt. And I think early on, I, I appreciated that there were any number of patients that could walk into the clinic and I'd be able to find a way to help be helpful or to like serve them well. Right. And I might not be the most effective person but I could get them in contact with the most effective person, or I could serve them in a way that I think was providing quality care. And I still have that confidence. So mm-hmm. in that respect, it hasn't shifted. Uh, and then hopefully over the past number of years, like the knowledge base and the experience and effectiveness has continued to grow, but the confidence continues to kind of be in that. Like I can, I can find a way to be, to be a good clinician for this patient even if that means bringing them to somebody else. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good thing. I, I'm, I was saying from, from the aspect of it really hasn't changed. It's just like shifted and pivoted as, as more being a good thing, actually. Okay, that's, that's fantastic. Because you came, it sounds like you came in with really good understanding of yourself and that confidence level and, and you came out and you obviously still have that. It's just focused a little bit differently. And like you said, you're a little bit more effective at, bridging those gaps and shortening the timeframes and, and having that knowledge to push in any direction, whether it's you or somebody else pushing in that direction. Yeah. That, like that, that's the cool thing is that's one of the reasons it's probably the main reason why you do a residency, right? Like we talked about that value and, and that's, that's one of the inherent in your face values is like the knowledge that you gain. And from that standpoint, so yeah, I think uh, probably the biggest things to walk away with from the residency and you can add in here, anything you like would be that knowledge base, but also like intellectual humility. When you're questioned on everything, you realize how often you might have made assumptions about something and the imposter syndrome, you know, people say like fake it till you make it, which is great. Uh, but if you don't understand when you're faking it and when you're, you're making it, <laughs> I think there's there's a disconnect there that's not, again, allowing you to grow as a professional. Right. Like the, the old adage of the more you know, the more you realize you don't know is, is 100% true. It's something that, that has ringed through a lot of the episodes that I've, I've done so far. So I, I would 100% agree from that standpoint. Um, and, and I want to point out that it's, it's not easy to, to be humble in that. And it's not a, a prerequisite that we assume for most people. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a vulnerable position. 
right. And in, in, in certain situations, you want to be that expert or you're like, you want to portray that, but at the same time, like know your limitations. Right. And, and like, like, I think the biggest part is question everything. Uh, yeah. Like that, that's the biggest part. And, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm trying to question where I'm coming from with a lot of my practice patterns and my treatment. So, so just on a real quick personal level, I've been, been going through like, okay, what's, what's my like overarching system of practice? Like how do I not get lost in all the sauce and all of these quote unquote, and I don't like this anymore, but all the tools in the tool belt, like how do you not get lost in that and, and stay the course and not just like go try to find all these fun things that, that might or may not work. Yeah. And for me, it's been, if you've heard of it, the sins model, right? Just yeah. always coming back to the basics of time frame, like tissue involved, like where they're at on the healing scale and like meeting them at that point, essentially, and then peeling back the layers from there. And the more that I, that I do that and the more I keep thinking about it, the more I'm like, okay, like, how am I going to treat this person at this stage? And obviously it's different for every single person. And I'm not just on in the camp of, I'm just going to exercise you to death. And that's all you need us to do to get stronger and to exercise more. Cause that's how, that's where we have all the evidence. I'm also not in the camp of, Oh, I'm going to touch you and make you better. And, and all this passive modalities and, like that's going to be the number one thing. It's obviously a blend, but it's also not that like blend of throwing everything together. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, have a, have a purpose, have a reasoning behind everything. And I think most of us in the PT profession first, in most cases do have that reasoning behind it, but questioning that reasoning, like, yeah, I, I think that's really cool to hear a little bit about kind of like your metacognitive reflection, like going in and especially being in a manual therapy fellowship and having done an orthopedic residency, you've, your tool quote, tool belt unquote is, yeah. is full. Like you are developing all the coolest skills and everything that is sexy about the profession. And the fact that you're like looking to see that those patterns, man, that is, that is super cool. I wish I had that as as early as you're finding that. Uh, I mean, it, it's cool and all. And like, like you said, like it's, it's, it's sexy at the same time though. I find the more that like I'm developing these things, the more that I'm going back to the basics and, and only using it at the appropriate times and, and only bringing it in when, when I'm recognizing these patterns and like, yes, I am like, really certain that this is going to is what you need at this moment in time not just doing it just to do it for like the big overall picture yeah and it, it sounds like you've got an appreciation for the nuance of of patient care there you trying to it's it's not it's not easy from that standpoint and it, it'll probably be interesting for you to hear but i i've gone up and down and it's kind of why i asked you the question in my confidence level so to speak going into residency, going out of residency, starting the fellowship, being over halfway through the fellowship now. And it, I got to the point at the end of residency where I was, I was confident in myself. I like, like you said, like I, I know when to push somebody out. I, if I don't know the information, I know where to 
to get it. I know the foundations of everything that I really need to work on and, and where to push the person from all sides of the treatment paradigm. And like, I'm cool with that. And then fellowship comes around and I get this whole other perspective and like just multiple other things to test and treat and to look at and to think about. And then I find my practice as kind of dissipating and not having a base and being baseless. That, uh, so I got a, a question for you. Cause that being in that space where your confidence is low or you're being overwhelmed, like it's, it's a clinic, like it feels suffocating, right? Like you're surrounded by something that you're not comfortable with. It's, uh, you don't feel like you're helping patients and we want to get into this profession for that. But do you feel that your, I'll say base confidence at your lowest low in fellowship, did you still view yourself as a better provider than you were two years ago? Cause I think it, it sounds like you're going up and down waves, but the lull at the last wave is higher than the lull of the previous wave. Right. So, so here's the difference between perception and reality. Yeah. So in reality, as you ask that, as I'm, as I'm thinking about like how I'm formulating this answer, like, yes, a hundred percent. Like if you think of like the, uh, the curve or whatever of, of confidence or whatever you want to call it. Right. It's, it's on an upward trajectory, continuously upward, whether it's fluctuating down and up, it's still trending positively throughout the whole experience. And I can wholeheartedly tell you, even when I was in the beginning of, of fellowship and I was at a little bit of a low, I was still so much better than I, I was in at the, even at the end of residency, I, at least looking back on it, I can say like with, fairly certainty that I, I, it was that that was the case but at the same time perception wise and this just might be a personality trait for me and i'm pretty self-deprecating from that standpoint and i'm my hardest and harshest critic it felt like i was i've regressed year and a half two years and back to either like the first couple of weeks of residency side of things yeah that i honestly I love this conversation because it seems like everything's tying together. Like that seems like that's the place where having those good mentors or the people that you really look up to in the profession, even if it's your co-residents, um, like having those folks to, to bounce some, some of those like self-deprecating remarks or, or comments or like feelings mm-hmm. off of where they can be like, Hey, you know what? Like actually patients still getting better. And I'm curious for you, have you been able to shorten your lull of, you know, we talked about pivoting with patients, like when your confidence is low, do you find that that's not lasting as long and not going as deep? Oh, oh hell yeah. That's, that's incredible, man. That's awesome. It's, it's, and obviously the more you go through it, the more you're able to recognize when you're starting to just stagnate or whatever, whether it's confidence or treatment style or, or whatever. And being able to, to push past that is probably that pattern recognition. And that's, that's what they teach as like if you want to think on that metacognitive scale of what's important and like why do a fellowship and how is that different than a residency it's the uh the pattern recognition is is like at least the idea is to push that a lot further along the line i i got the lecture in the beginning where it's like okay you're 
your residency training teaches you how to reflect after the fact and implement that in the future. Your fellowship training is hopefully going to help you react in the moment to react and to make a change now. And yeah, you can think about that in the future, but it's like in the moment pattern recognition. And that's the more important thing versus being able to go back on what you did and understand why it did it. And, and all of that, like changing or oscillating between the highs and the lows and shortening that period of the low and shortening the depth of the low, mm-hmm. um, that, that starts to sound a lot like building resilience. And I don't know about you, but I got my butt kicked my first like year out. And I think then going, getting into residency is like butt kicked for a solid three or four months. Right. No, it's, I, I agree. I actually, no, I don't agree because I felt like for, for me, for whatever reason, I, I wasn't being pushed to, to the level that I, I needed to be pushed. And that was probably more so on me than it was on my mentors. Cause I was most likely not seeking out, like we talked about having that hard conversation or like pushing myself from where I needed to learn and try harder wise. Like I'm going to put that more on me than my mentors, but I think my mentors could have helped out a little bit and pushed me. And that's where, that's where I went into fellowship and, and told my mentors there like, Hey, like I understand myself a little bit more now and I need the tough love. I, I, I want you to be hard on me. I, I need you to, to, to frankly, just tell me when I'm doing something that's stupid or like make me feel like I don't have an understanding of something if I don't have an answer because that's the only way you grow. And that is, that is cool self-awareness. And you said you're your own harshest critic. So like your expectations for yourself are sky high. Right. And it, it sounds like you want people to meet you at those expectations. Was that something that you had coming straight out of school? Cause honestly, I think a lot of people come out of school and they just like study for the test and they want to pass the test. And after they pass, like, that's fine. But you want to like ace the test. Yeah. I mean, that's probably just uh, a competitive thing on my end. But I, I, I did have that. Like, I see that as a, uh, a good and a bad. Because I know not everybody's going to have that kind of aspiration, right? And I'm not saying like you have to have this aspiration to become a better clinician. But I think in the, what I want to highlight is like, like what you said, being more self-aware and being uncomfortable or being comfortable being uncomfortable. And and that's where I think we're we're losing it in in some of the the early mentoring side. And that's when like you look back on some of your mentors that you had. And I don't know about you, but I've had a couple CIs that were really easy and they were like great and I had a good experience, but looking back on it, did I really learn too much? Probably not. Versus some CIs that were it's frankly dicks. And I still like, after I got over the fact that it wasn't personal, it was just, this is just how you need to go about it. Then like, Oh, I, I respect them a lot more. I learn from them a lot more. I have a relationship with them still because of that. 
And I think we need to more so as a, a mentor mentee, bringing it back to that. Like, I don't know. I don't, I need to be your friend, but when I am harsh on you, it's not personal. It's just where you're at. Yeah. And the good mentors are going to be ones that want to see you grow and aren't going to like keep you from growing just to keep you comfortable. Right. Have you had any of those experiences? The, uh, the tough ones. Yeah. The tough ones, the, the easy ones, the, the whatever. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the very first clinic that I was at, there was a, they didn't take a lot of new grads and mm-hmm. or didn't hire new grads. And so I got brought on and one of the PTs there straight up told me, he's like, I don't know why we hired you. Uh, which I mean, for me, it was, I'm like coming in bright eyed, bushy tailed. And it right. was like a big, big hit. Cause he was somebody that I, I respected a lot. Um, by the time that I left that he and I had a very strong relationship and he was saying like, talk to me about future leadership positions and, and really interesting kind of turn event events, but I'm not sure if I would have been pushed or been made as uncomfortable if he wasn't like really direct with that. And at the time, I don't know if he knew he was mentoring. Uh, but for me, that that's something that at the time I needed to hear because it was otherwise a really comfortable position to be like, oh, I got this, you know, I got this nice job. I got lots of smart coworkers. Like I can lean on other people if needed. Um, and that was kind of a call to action to kind of make sure that I was playing up to their level. It's not like a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've probably had it, those people along every step of the way. And as you gain more experience with that, like, again, you get more comfortable in knowing that like, it's an opportunity for growth and recognizing whether or not somebody's got your best interests in mind, mm-hmm. whether or not they're intentionally being a mentor or whether or not you can still grow despite they're not like, you know, supporting you. Well, that's the hard part. Right. And this is what, this is what I struggle with when, when we're broaching the topic of like tough love, so to speak. Like obviously it, it works for, for both of us, but I would say we have pretty similar personality traits and aspirations and just career pathway ideas, right? What happens when it's somebody else and like, and they shut down when, when not, you don't even have to yell, but when, when you tell them harsh things, like, is that on the, the person to, Hey, buck up, get over yourself and push past. Or is it on the mentor to recognize that and, and not do that? Yeah. Uh, well, not, not every person that you meet and not every admirable clinician and not every like great clinician is going to be a mentor for you. Uh, so there's somewhere I heard that honesty without compassion is cruelty and I, I think in the mentoring relationship that there's that compassion uh, in other words, there's that intimate desire to like see somebody improve, but you're also going to have those people that don't care if you improve or not. they just want to like be direct and that stuff get is tough to hear. But I think you and I both have an appreciation that you want to see the clear picture, not just our perception of the picture. Right. No, not like lots of different views and, to try to balance where we might be biased and not. And ultimately I think that with experience, that's something that you gain regardless of where you are. And 
again, going back to the residency thing, that was something that was, you're forced to get the view of other people. And I think that's really helpful in just clarifying your own picture of the world. A hundred percent. I keep going back to, to what you just said there. And I think that's going to stick with me for a while. You said honesty without compassion is cruelty. Yeah. And I, I wasn't the one to say that I picked that up somewhere and I just cannot remember where. Sure. Thank you. Whoever uh, thought that first, but what a profound statement. Yeah. It's, it's obviously stuck with me for, for a couple of years. And, uh, there's a lot to that when I'm looking at, you know, relationships now with patients or with students. Right. Right. It's not just, you're not just going to be that drill sergeant that goes in and just like fires off on, Hey, you suck at this. You suck at this. You suck at this. Improve. Yeah. Like having, giving an avenue to improve, like, like you said, compassion and compassion to me means an action, not just feeling what they're feeling, but opening up an action towards that and a solution. Yeah. And when I look back at like the best, the people that have influenced me the most, it's not because they were the nicest, like you were saying, the CIs that are drill sergeants versus the easy CIs, the, which ones do you learn the most from? But like the people that were able to be direct and like help you grow, those are the people you look back on and you're like, oh my gosh, that was my best coach that was my classmate that I learned the most from. Right. Right. It's so, so my thought process in the beginning of this was like, okay, like everybody needs tough love, like no matter what, like fuck you. Just do it. Nike. You're welcome. Sign me. (laughs) But, uh, and then I was like, okay, maybe not everybody needs tough love. And like, maybe you have to like meet the person where they're at. And you have to like, if this person needs their hand held a little bit more, hold their hand. And, and if you can give people like us tough love, like, great, do it. Like, that's fantastic. Now I'm on the point where at least my, my thought process is you need that. Every, I still think everybody needs that tough love and that you need to challenge people from that standpoint. Cause that's the only way you, you learn in my opinion is through failures and pointing that out is pivotal, but also that compassion piece and offering that compassion. And I think how to do that and mold the two is like we were saying in the beginning, you have to have that personal relationship with the person right? You have to tell them that this isn't personal when I chastise you or I I say this, but you also have to blend that with what you said in the beginning as well with you're not the smartest person in the room. This is a, a give and take relationship and realizing that what I say isn't always going to be the correct thing, but I want to have a discussion about it. And that's the hard part, I think. Is, is finding that delicate balance between pushing somebody and not and giving them the room and compassion to like understand where they're at versus you understanding where they're at and taking that and learning from it. Yeah. And this is cool because I think we've kind of transitioned from like, you know, talking about us 
each other as you're entering the residency versus now like reflecting back on on almost being a mentor. And honestly, I, I hope you're mentoring students because man, I think you got an act for it. Uh, I appreciate that. I, it's one of my goals. Do you, uh, and I didn't go into residency straight out of school. So I'm curious if like what I'm seeing is something that I gained in those two years was something that like maybe everybody gains and maybe just like looking back on residency, you, you feel like you gained that within that time. And I don't know, maybe I was just slow to the game. Well, no, here, here's what I think though. And that, and that's why I asked that question in the beginning is like, and that's why I wanted to have you on is because what I think and what I think is maybe a bias of some of, some of my guests that I've already had and me personally is that, okay, of course you're going to gain confidence just by being a PT. Right? It's just like a natural process of, of going through the process, whether you're, you're two years out, like you're still going to have more confidence than where you started with. So I don't think that's the point. Okay. But I think the point is, I don't know. Like I, I still struggle with that personally. And like, yes, I, I lacked and I gained. Do I think I would have lacked and then gained if I did the same thing you did or if I did just no postdoc training at all? Yes. Inherently, yes. Like, you have to. Like, we're all smart people in this profession. We're all people that, that have a care and a drive for others in some capacity. Like, it's going to happen. And, and that brings me to the point of, like I used to want to compare and I still want to compare a little bit like research wise, like people that go the traditional route and don't do postdoc training versus those that do. But the more that you think about it, the more that you really can't compare those two groups, you have to compare the singular person. Like you have to compare Matt not doing a residency and what you would have been like from point A to now versus Matt doing the residency from start to now. And like, how would have that changed? So it doesn't matter like me doing the residency versus you. It matters you versus you. And inherently, and one more thing, inherently, Again, my bias, I think you're going to be better off as a person and, and a clinician if you do go through that postdoc process. And that's where my passion and drive lies is like, yes, you'll be able to do it. You'll be able to learn all these things on your own. You'll be able to have this knowledge, but will you be a better version of yourself? To me, I, I, I see no other option than, than that answer being yes. And I would have to agree with you and it's impossible to know for sure. But like if failure is the best teacher, like we get a ton of opportunities to fail and then be supported to grow into that failure in residency. And I, I think that happens more often in a learning environment than it would just in a clinic. You would have uh, to think that, right? That, that would seem to be natural. And actually we'll say in my experience in the first like two years of practicing versus a year and a half in residency, there's a noticeable difference. And I was in a place where I was being challenged for those first two years a lot, I think, more than I had been in previous, uh, you know, clinicals or anything like that. Right. And then in residency, just kind of like turned that volume up a little bit. Like it, it augmented even from, from where it had been. So 
that's cool to hear. Yeah, I, I think the opportunity to fail and continue to be supported in that failure is, you, you have to think it's it's more often the case in a residency program or where you have mentors that are like, their intention is to challenge your thought process. Right, exactly. So, so I love hearing that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot, right? We, we've been talking through this whole process. I, we know where you're at right now. You're this great successful clinician who's at a uh, pediatric orthopedic clinic who's like been able to mold your, your specialty into that practice. You're able to, to teach. And it sounds like you're going through like the, the process of learning how to become a better mentor and, and doing that stuff. If you had the chance to do it over again, Right. If I give you this magic wand and you can wave it and you can go back to Matt graduating PT school, would you still do those two years and then do residency? Or would you take the little bit more of the unknown and say, I would, I would have liked to maybe done residency in, in the first place? That is a great question, Nick. So the, <laughs> The, the number of things attached to those first two years, it's tough to separate those things like the mentors, the challenges, the friends, uh, the place that I got to work. It's tough to separate that from the learning. And so I, I would say I, I needed those two years, um, not, not to be ready for residency or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I got an opportunity to, I think, become really proficient in an area of practice that I didn't have a lot of experience. And I was learning for those two years. Um, and then gaining a place where I felt like I was starting to contribute to the clinic. So I was starting to get comfortable. And so I sought out a little bit more discomfort because I wasn't ready to be comfortable at that time. Um, and so that that's really kind of what led me into the residency process. And I wouldn't be where I am without having had some teaching experience. Uh, so that was an invaluable part of what I had as long-term goals. Sure. Yeah. And not going to really get that forced on you any other way. Um, so I would do the exact same thing, but the caveat there is there's a lot attached to that. Right. And, and is a loaded question. And I, I, kind of knew the answer to the question before I even asked it. I knew like, Number one, just based on hearing everything and knowing who you are as a person, like you've really taken your path and exceeded on everything. And it's made you who you are today. And that's fantastic. And I know none of us would ever want to go back on that. But let's, let's now get a little bit more theoretical and, and help out some of these people that are maybe thinking like, okay, like I'm about to graduate soon. What do I, what do, I do? I, I might want to pursue residency. I might not. I might want to practice a little bit before to get my feet wet. I might not like, what would you recommend to the general PT population? Would you recommend doing a residency first or would you recommend practicing first and then doing a residency? Yeah. You have to pick one. Given the, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given the landscape, I think, I would probably recommend people that know where they want to practice to dive deep, like go residency route and get, get that experience. If mm -hmm. you're unsure of 
where you really want to be and you're still kind of exploring all the different areas that PT has to offer, um, you know, you might end up in a place where you're developing skills in an area that's not your passion. And so if, if you're set on the population, at least generally the population, I think it's worth diving into the residency pretty quickly. Um, and thank you for kind of framing your question the way you did, because it, I think you can still get that discomfort or still build that expertise afterwards. So had I gone and worked at the place that I worked before residency, if I had done that after residency, I probably would have felt very similarly. Um, would have been challenged a little bit less as far as like, I wouldn't be a new grad anymore. And I would have a little bit more clout in the clinic just based on having clinical experience. But I still probably could find those areas of discomfort and areas of growth. Uh, when I say discomfort, that's for me synonymous with like personal growth. Um, so yeah, I'd say if you know where you want to be, it'd probably be worth your while. Do it right away. And getting good quick. I, uh, I like that sentiment. I initially I'm biased and I think everybody should do it right away. <laughs> and, and maybe this is unfair of me or, or whatever, but like, I don't know. I think, I think you should have to, to know what you want to do coming out of PT school. And I think that's on our PT schools to, to give everybody the breadth of experience and and make us pick they like i like that our profession like we're generalists from that stance like i like that i could technically go and work in a neuro clinic but man i have no business going and working in a neuro clinic right now and that would be a thousand percent disservice to those patients and obviously a neuro clinic might not even hire me because i don't know what i'm doing from that standpoint but but in my mind, like we we need to put our eggs more in into one basket, and, and there's so the world of PT is so big, and it's impossible to, to know everything. And I think we need to do the best thing that we can do for our patients and for our profession, and push forward and and specialize. And from that standpoint. I do like the fact that if you don't understand it, yes, like for sure, do not rush into a residency. Like that's just where we're at right now. You, you have that opportunity to, to go practice and to understand yourself where that is. I think that's the most important thing is like knowing and then diving in. So we agree on, on those levels from that standpoint. Yeah. And you know, PT practice, like all, of medicine, healthcare is becoming more and more specialized. Uh, there's is that a good a, thing. Is that a good thing? I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, that, that's a that's a large question. I'm not sure I'm the appropriate <laughs> to that question. But uh, what are you? What's your thoughts? I'm not. I'm not equipped to answer the question fully. I have thoughts on it. Uh, I think there's a role for the generalist. I do, and I. I what don't. It may be in like, you know, a lot of people with back pain, they're going to get better regardless. A handful of people with back pain are going to get better with a little bit of education. And then a handful of people with back pain may need to see Nick <laughs> to get better. They may need that expert, like truly expert care. Um, I don't wouldn't put me on that level yet, but 
I appreciate the sentiment. Near, near the, the top tier of care. Uh, but, you know, that deciphering who, who those people are will, like you, you'd be able to do it, no problem. Uh, your access eventually might be challenging to get to because you could be hands full with the folks that like need really high level care, in which case the generalist can provide like basic recommendations, education on different things, screening, various things like that. But again, that, that's kind of following the medical model of care. And it seems like that's maybe where we're going, but I don't have a crystal ball. So who knows? Right. Hmm. It makes, it makes me think of the, the generalist as the, uh, the musculoskeletal PCP. Yeah. Kind and of fun, and funneling out. Yeah. Musculoskeletal, neuromuscular, <laughs> neuromusculoskeletal, whatever. Right. Neuromusculoskeletal. I, I, I like that. I like that. And, you know, if we want to be the, the neuromusculoskeletal preferred providers, which I feel like we're, we're wanting to as a profession, like getting the direct access and being like the first line of defense instead of like going to just the, the medicine side of things. I think that's part of it. And I, I've never really thought about it from that standpoint. So I like the, uh, the idea behind like you can't treat everybody in. There's a role for it. Hmm. Well, I've, I was reading just because I'm, you know, I'm human. I go through Twitter all the time and just waste a lot of time on social media. And I saw this one comment from, from somebody, it, maybe it was Facebook group or whatever, from like the doctor of physical therapy students group or something like that. And I was reading through and I just randomly like went through this comment and it was, I think it was a, uh, a post about what would you change about the, the PT profession? And this one person said to, to essentially get rid of the silos of, for example, ortho versus neuro. And that's the exact opposite of what we're talking about here. I wonder, I wonder how that would, would work and, and if it would. I don't know. What are you thinking about, about that one? Because I do not have an answer for you right now. Uh, I mean, health, healthcare is large and involved and... I think just by its nature, when you group people into, into the places that they're interested in or the places that they're treating, like you develop silos. I think it might only become a problem when you've got those PTs that say, you know, I'm an orthotherapist. I don't treat neuro because, um, well, Zach, yeah, so I think you said uh, <laughs> you won't treat a single patient that doesn't have a nervous system. And so, you know, every single patient that you're walking into, they are a they're an entire person. They're not ortho. They're not musculoskeletal. They're everything all at all at the same time. They might have COPD and you're treating them for back pain. Mm. Um, so I, I think in the, in the sense that people will neglect other systems because they're not like, that's not quote their lane unquote. I, I think that is problematic, but otherwise you by nature of, of how large healthcare is, I think you have to kind of funnel down into your area of most interest. Right. I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree from that standpoint. And I, I think that that maybe highlights the sentiment behind that person's 
post. Obviously not speaking for them. I don't even know who you are. Sorry. Um, but yeah, not, not just getting into like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to give you exercise and you're going to get better with just this exercise, but having the whole picture involved. So no, it's, it's an interesting concept and I, I agree. And it's hard to do that too, right? It's hard to, to keep the whole big picture in mind as well. And I think that's why we need to get and go back to our basics all the time. And that's probably the most important thing is to not have these tools, but to have the basics and have the basics done right. Uh, I would totally agree. And, and being back in the like DPT program classrooms and seeing them as first years and third years and a few of the classes that I get to help out with, uh, it's, it's been humbling in that I, I'm remembering how much I've forgotten and right going over things from like med conditions to exam eval. And then they tie it all together at this PT program um, with an integrated practice class, which I think is exceptional. Uh, and they're going over like talking about their reflective processes and, and everything like that. And I think they're, it seems like some of the students that are coming out now might have a greater appreciation for nuances of healthcare than I had coming out of school. But I, I'm interested in like some of the programs that I'm not familiar with, like their PT programs that are going online. I'm curious, are they coming out with that same kind of appreciation for how the healthcare landscape is changing? Cause I honestly feel like I'm getting caught up more and more every day, or I need to catch up more and more every day. I think number one, that speaks to the high level of uh, education that Colorado provides that side of things so that's that's kudos to you guys from from that standpoint i uh i love that because that's the big picture you need to be able to put it all together um and and i would agree and i, and I hope that we're, we're growing as a profession from that standpoint and i hope that the students these days are a little bit more informed than either you or i were coming out either a couple years ago or a couple more years prior to that Sorry, that was an old joke. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like how do you cause because my thought process along those lines is like how do you demonstrate and and illustrate to to these students that like because I I know me, like these tools are sexy, like we said, like they're you I want to learn these manipulations or I want to learn these cool exercises or like mobs with movement or like using the latest and greatest technology to help somebody walk again. Like I want to do all that stuff, but how do you go back to the, the, the fact and how do you like, how do you demonstrate the value of the basics, the boring stuff for the students? I think you you might have a better appreciation for this just given the fellowship training. Um, but I, I can tell you kind of what somebody that I look up to a lot has said, which is, you know, the, the experts, the really, really great clinicians, they do the simple stuff really well. Yeah, but everybody says that, right? Like yeah. that's all like I, I feel like it's like I remember hearing that in my PT school lectures. And I remember like really like putting it through one ear and, and out the other. Like, oh, that's a great concept. Like, I want to do the basics. Well, like, yeah, 100%. 
And then I was just still laser focused on the, the latest and greatest. And maybe that's something that's, you know, we, it's tougher to learn something that you haven't experienced than it is to appreciate like the things that you have. So maybe it takes a little bit of the experience and then just being like, Oh, you know, this person with knee pain, they're going to, they, they need a little bit of help and that's it. They don't need something crazy sexy. They don't need like all this technology all the time. Um, not to say that there's not a benefit in it, but being able to recognize uh, the symptoms, irritability, nature, stage stability of, of each patient or each learner and like apply simple stuff to address that. Maybe that's like the nuance of patient care and mentoring or learning. Right, right. Maybe it's just you can't learn it until, you know, somebody just bores it into you or you actually experience it. No, that's a good point. And I think, I think that it, again, highlights the, uh, the postdoc training and probably why that's probably more important than anything else and for introducing those, those basics from that standpoint. Um, I know, I know from me on, like on the personal side, when, uh, when I teach a little bit more, like I'm going to really try to break it down and like, like, you know how you go through lectures and like somebody has their objective slide and it's like five to 10 bullet points long sometimes. And we're going to understand this part and then it's going to transition to this and they're going to be able to treat this because of that. And like, like putting that slide away, like talking to the student and like being one-on-one -on -one with everybody in the classroom essentially. And like, Hey, like this is the big picture. Yes, you're going to be able to learn, like just say a, a back patient. This is a back course. Yes, you're going to be able to treat this lower back pain patient. There's numerous ways. There's a lot of different nuances that we're going to talk about and we're going to go into. But hey, don't get lost in that. If you do your subjective well, the patient will tell you what's going on most of the time, number one. Then if you go through your neuro screen and your motion screen and things from that standpoint, that will give you 95% of everything you need and to be able to push forward from that. And if you don't have that, and it doesn't matter what you do, it's just, you're just throwing it up to chance at that point. And like emphasizing that, like those points, I think. Is at least something for me that and maybe I wouldn't have listened to it anyway, but it's something that like sticks out into my head. And it's like, I think the, the really good professors that I've had, like have, have done that for me. And I, I want to try to push that out for others. I love that. I'm picturing your future lectures with like an objective slide that just says treat the patients well. And that's it. <laughs> and I think or even just a picture. No yeah. way. I, I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, cause in that mindset that you get as a student where like, it's helpful to have those boxes to check. I think a lot of learners have trouble with that, which is where, and to your point, like, uh, this is going back to people should know what they want to do coming out of PT school. Like that requires getting, getting tossed around a little bit and being in those uncomfortable discussions. And so that sounds like it requires like mentorship in PT school and the eyes are important. What's that? The eyes are important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, that, uh, I love, I love that idea of like having the big picture objective in mind 
And I'm curious how like learners would, would do with that. But as far as like the postdoc learner, hopefully that's something that they're gaining appreciation for. Right. And I think that to your point, you still need to have that slide and, and have those stepwise points for the people that need it written down and to go back on and, or maybe just like have them record the lecture from that standpoint. Like you need to have the information there. Like obviously you need to, to be able to like read it, see it, soak it in and, and do that. But like the emphasis on like, this is part of it, but this is only part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And obviously this is something that I want to go into a little bit more and I'm probably oversimplifying things. And there, I know there's like way more that I don't know about the, uh, the teaching and the mentoring aspect that I will gain over the next few years and probably the rest of my life from that standpoint. But I'm interested to see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, the mentor, mentoring, going back to everything, like that's a skillful task. And the really good mentors you probably experience, like they knock it out, man. They, they're just so valuable for, for our learning. And, and if you can find that, hopefully residency sets that up for you, but find that anywhere. Like that's, that's game changing. What's uh, I'm curious from your standpoint, what has been, let's, let's simplify it. Cause you know, I like simplifying things. Like what's the, the biggest takeaway that you've been trying to address on from your side? from whether it's either the teaching or the mentoring in the clinic. Oh man, the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Like what's like a big realization you've had recently or like what's, what's one of your, like your core tenants and beliefs and like how you go about it. Uh, you mean, I want to learn, I want to learn from you, Matt. (laughs) Uh, I mean the, something that's been readily available every time I step in the classroom is that like, I have a long way to go as a teacher or as a mentor. Um, but the, I think the things that seem to be most pervasive are like really good mentors have an intellectual humility and the ability to challenge, challenge you. And I, I want to be that person for our other colleagues, students, um, professionals. And I think that's, that's a tough, it, it's a good mix to have, and it's hard to find the right balance. Okay. First step, understanding essentially where you fall on, on this paradigm of like the bandwidth of knowledge and, and challenging somebody on, on where they're at on theirs. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Right. If I was actually listening to the conversation, I would have had that already in mind. I wouldn't have had to even ask the question, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, what what are your your thoughts as far as postdoc or somebody coming out of PT school? What's like the top thing that they should be looking for? obviously for you that residency training is important, but like, what's the most valuable thing you got out of that? Are you talking about like characteristic of like, like what did I learn? That was the the number one thing that I think you need to foundationally lather in. Aside from textbook knowledge. 
uh, I don't like the term. Um, me and Dr. Ulsis have uh, re-coined it, at least on one of our previous podcasts, the, uh, the hard skills. They're not soft skills, they're hard skills. I like that. They're firm. <laughs> they're, they're tangible. They're something that you can improve on and you should improve on. And that, I think that's the number one thing is like if you don't have the self-awareness of yourself and of the patient then it doesn't matter what you do after that you're missing the boat i like that term so working on working on that first and foremost whether that's personally professionally and i'm not mentee wise i'm not sure a lot of students have that or sorry, I'm not sure a lot of students get that in school. And if, if our faculty tried it with us, I, I think I was probably more interested in the textbook knowledge. Exactly. I think, I think we did get it to a certain extent. I know me personally, I got it in my first year a little bit, but it's, it's always inherently that like easy class that you just breeze by because there's not something you have to memorize. It's just like nice conversation and you're like, okay, I don't need to prioritize where you put your brain power. And I think, I think that might be better served, at least for me personally, where I or had my schooling at, at Thomas Jefferson University in Philly. I think that might be better served for them pushing those classes back to the end of PT school. Yeah, but <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere that's looking at curriculum has the thought that you want those students to have that as early as possible so they get into clinic and they're already trying to connect with with patients but to your have point, a one and a two. Oh, what's that I have a one and a two one and two i like that like one at the very beginning two to kind of sandwich the curriculum yep. i love it let's uh I think this is a good, solid place to wrap up. We have a, a lot to, to digest. I have a lot to digest, at least from our conversation. And I know I'm going to be thinking about this for at least the next week. And it's probably going to carry over until a lot more of the, the conversation discussions I have on this podcast. So I, I want to personally thank you for, for coming on and expanding my knowledge base. Nick, I love, uh, love picking your brain. I love seeing your thought process and, and uh, the challenges to my own. That, that's very much appreciated. Well, any time you want to come back on and, and talk, you are more than welcome. I'll probably have to digest this one for a while, but yeah, once, uh, once there's something we're talking about. Uh, Matt, you got to push yourself, right? Yeah, that's true. got to push yourself. I'll push you. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate you, man. No problem. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I had a blast as, as always talking to you. Um, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you, uh, you make it to this point. I personally think it's a good crucial conversation and not boring stuff, but you know, if you find it boring and you didn't make it this far, screw you. <laughs> but you know, this is, uh, this is your host, Dr. Nick Gula signing off. That is Dr. Matt Pomeroy also signing off. Thank you. This is the postdoc PT experience.